On the 30th of November, 2018, something amazing happened in Australia. Out of what appeared like nowhere, an explosive, articulate and determined movement of high school students rose up to call for action on climate change. Inspired by Greta Thunberg and started by students in Castlemaine in Victoria, young people who could not vote took to the streets to demand politicians do something about their future. The Student Strikers for Climate have built alliances with workers and unions and built networks in regional communities across Australia. They organised the largest set of climate rallies in Australia's history in September 2019. And they're still going. Today's Changemaker Chat is with student striker and newly minted author, Jean Hidgliff. Jean is a student leader and her book Lead the Way is designed to help people like her navigate how to make big change. Today we talk about how she came to activism and why she chose to write a book about it. We explore what she has learnt and hear some of her battle stories. And, full disclosure, I've been supporting Jean for a while as a mentor. I'm a fan of her work and have been an active supporter of the student strikers as a whole since I went to that November 30 rally with my primary school age boys. So, let's go. I'm Amanda Tattersall. Welcome to Changemaker Chats, conversations with people changing the world. Changemakers also produces episodes that are feature stories about social change campaigns. Changemakers is supported by the Sydney Policy Lab at the University of Sydney. They break down barriers between researchers, policymakers and community campaigners so we can build change together. Check them out at sydney.edu.au backslash policy dash lab. Changemakers also runs an organising school where you can sharpen your skills to make change in the world. All the details are on our website where you can also sign up to our email list. It's changemakerspodcast.org. Jean, I want to welcome you to the first Changemaker Chat of 2021. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited for this. Yeah. I'm excited too because there's so much interesting stuff for us to talk about today, both about you as a striker and you as an author. It's a a pretty extraordinary amount of stuff that you have done in your you know, let's face it, not that many years on the planet and you're sort of looping everyone else, you know, beating us all up, becoming a role model for the kind of change that we could all do, I'm sure. So when you think about, we always ask our our guests, Jean, to think about what makes you a change maker. You're a school striker, you're an author. Tell us what kind of change maker are you? Well, I have always described myself when I get asked this question as an organiser for School Strike for Climate and we were just saying earlier, it's it's this difficult thing for me now because I have this book now and all these other things I'm doing, trying to tie that in. But I, I feel like the sort of change I make is, comes from kind of grassroots organising and that sort of work. And then I'm also really passionate about teaching and helping others grow and yeah, making learning really central to that. So <laughs> I'll probably find a more concise title for that at some point, but... Yeah, we're happy to be witness to you coming to that new title, Jean. It's a delight. And so what I'm interested in, what we want to talk about first um, today is to understand why 
you've chosen that mix of roles, both as an activist around climate change and also why you've chosen to play the role of teacher or play the role of creating learning for, about social change. What was your journey into activism? Yeah, I think it's the sort of thing where I never really did it that intentionally. I feel like it almost somewhat happened to me because I grew up in a family. We've always been very progressive and my parents have cared about all these issues, but they've never been particularly active or volunteering or whatnot. And I went to the occasional protest when I was younger and I did all these things. And then I remember when the same-sex marriage debate started, that was my first time I ever really stepped into well, getting involved in activism to any real capacity. And it was an issue which felt suddenly so real to me. And the fact that I felt like I'd grown up and I'd heard about all these smaller things, but suddenly there's a very real and active campaign happening and I want to be involved and I want to be part of this. Can you tell us why? I think it's the sort of thing where I'm I'm a very impulsive person. I don't really think much before I go about and do things. And I think I see something as deeply wrong or maybe a particular thing is deeply right and just not happening. And I don't think about the steps to get me to getting involved or really what I'm doing as I'm uh, stepping into it, but I just have this impulse and I'll do something. It, it, it's sort of this more deep-rooted thing where I don't think before I act, I guess, but in the in the best way possible. Of course, the best way possible, in the way that you see injustice, injustice and you and you must do something about it. Yeah, and I, I think part of it comes from a belief that I can actually do something. Where do you think that that anger around injustice comes from for you? I think it, it's hard to say exactly what because for me it feels like such an obvious thing yeah. because it's just... Who who made it obvious for you? Well, my entire life, I see it as sort of base level human empathy almost, where I think I'm the sort of person, I'm very, very empathetic. So I notice that with friends at school or, or in movies when there's a character which you're not supposed to like and they do terrible things, but I care so much about, like, I'm so good at putting myself in other people's shoes and... I think I see that a lot with these social issues because I, yeah, I I can put myself in other people's shoes and I can see the harm that people are experiencing and and the hurt caused by so many issues and I want to stop that, I guess. It it, it feels very, um, a very base level sort of instinct of mine rather than something, again, that I'm thinking about a lot and I need to unpack. It really just is that base level of, something's harming people and this is, yeah, a bad thing. And then from there, the sort of injustice and all the other things surrounding it, I feel like, fuel me more. Yeah. And and what you're describing, I mean, not everyone has done the kind of activity that you've done by the age that you're at, but empathy, that's something that every single person can wrestle with and and lean into and understand, understanding totally. other people. And, and that, that can be that that can be a first step on a pathway to greater activism. Mm, and I, I think that, like, as part of empathy, because as you said, everyone experiences it. It's a sort of universal thing, and it's just about how you end up funneling that energy because you can have that initial reaction and just have a similar upset with someone and 
sympathize with their situation and it can sort of lead you to almost pushing away issues and pushing away things that just are so upsetting to hear about and I think that's where <laughs> that, and that's sort of where the diversion comes from because instead of doing that I feel like my instinct always is to go in immediately and do something and it's not that that's inherently better or more moral than others I think it's just sort of the way that I jump into doing things. Yeah. And mm. we're seeing all these different reactions to in- injustice or difficulty mm. happening in the climate debate. Totally. Some people running in and some people running away. Mm. So tell us, so this, you've got this deep empathy, you've got this feeling like you can do something, you've got this impulsive propensity to to act, <laughs> <laughs> acting on marriage equality, what an extraordinary moment in time in Australia, both Australia at its greatest highs but also its greatest lows in, in mm. what happened that year. How did that then take you to the to the issue of climate change? Where, where How did those two things connect? Yeah, so I got involved in the marriage equality campaign and I did sort of phone banking type stuff and I was putting up posters and it was, yeah, those sorts of things. I, I got my friends involved as well. It was a really, really fun time. And then afterwards, actually, I stay involved. I stayed involved with Get Up for a while. I think with climate, the first thing that really started drawing my attention to that is, oh my goodness, like I have to do something, is the UN report which gave us a deadline of 12 years to avert the worst impacts of the climate crisis. And I I think I knew beforehand that it was a very pressing issue and I did care a lot about it and I knew I had to do something, but the urgency of that change and, and how quickly everything needed to happen just hadn't fully hit me beforehand and suddenly (laughs) I saw this deadline this 12-year deadline and I looked at it and I was going to be what like 25 or yeah 25 or 26 when that ran out and I knew I had to get involved somehow so I signed up on the Australian Youth Climate Coalition website and did a bit more with Stoppadani and then a friend of mine sent me the link to a Facebook post with a kid holding a sign that said school strike for climate And I hadn't heard about this before. And she said, like, oh, I think you might be interested in doing this or getting involved if something happens in Sydney. So I I go through the page and I I click on their website link and they have an event listed for Melbourne. And that was it. And Melbourne is the protest centre of Australia, Jane. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I thought, well, because previously the work I'd been doing, there was someone who had started organising and then I was sort of volunteering with them. And I was like, well, I want to help out a bit. You know, if something's going to happen in Sydney, I'd love to get involved. So I, I send an email saying, like, you know, if there's anything I can do to help, you know, if something's going to happen in Sydney, I, I'd love to volunteer my time. And then the next morning I get a response saying, we'd love to help you achieve this goal. <laughs> and it kind of dawned on me that suddenly I was the organiser and I was the one who had registered interest for organising an event in Sydney. And I was panicking because I had no clue what I was doing and that isn't quite what I had intended to do by emailing them, but yeah, it, it's that impulsiveness again. I just sort of went with it. And then, yeah, I, I had loads of help from Tipping Point and then, again, my local Stopadani group. And then also, of course, young people who'd volunteered and signed up with us and yeah they were really the driving force behind that organizing and then yeah we ended up holding a strike and not only in Sydney and Melbourne but there were 
tons across Australia and thousands of people involved. And it was just sort of this incredible moment that I think, yeah, from there I just have stayed involved since. Now, from memory, someone else actually helped you turn out lots of students to that demonstration. I, yeah. <laughs> was it? Which, which politician <laughs> stuck their foot in it in a really dumb way around then? Would you remember what happened? Yeah, good old pal ScoMo, in fact. So it was, what, two, three days before the strike and in question time he gets asked about whether he supports the school strike and what he thought of it. And suddenly you get this fantastic, infamous quote about how we need we need more learning in schools and less activism and kids should be in school and, you know, why are all these kids going out in the streets and they should be dealt with outside of schools and nothing will get a teenager to a protest like being told by the Prime Minister not to go. I will tell you that because with it, we were getting some attention, you know. We had, I'd done an interview with the feed on SBS and that was awesome and some newspaper things, there was a little bit of buzz surrounding it. The moment that quote came out, we were getting international attention. I was getting called from BBC, people were interviewed by CNN, at SBS World News, everyone ever it seemed wanted to hear about us and wanted to interview us and yeah, our potential turnout went from, we were expecting really, really crushing it. We might get a 1,000 in Sydney to 5,000 on the day. And it was similar across Australia. We ended up with, I think, about 15,000 people mobilised. And we were just in shock. And really, so much of that was to do with Scott Morrison responding. And I just love that fact so much. But there's, a, mm. there's a philosophy in organising that says um, sometimes your opponents organise your people for you. And it really <laughs> felt like that was maybe oh, totally. helped out. Yeah. <laughs> but I know the movement went strong. The strikes continued and the climate strike movement continues apace now, even with mm. online. You guys are a guru when it comes to doing tech and we're using Zoom before the rest of us old people were to organise nationally. But I'm wondering, just, it's one thing to start being involved in organising. It's another thing to stay. Why do you think you've stayed in this space? What, what, what nourishment, what energy, what, what does this space give to you? Yeah, I think that the school strike space, it's quite unique in that it feels like I'm making a tangible difference in everything that we do. I don't think I would have stayed involved nearly as long if it didn't, because I have this overwhelming sense that everything that we do together, we're making a difference. Whether it is quite small or not, I can see that it has a difference and I can see that, you know, more people are engaged and we're putting pressure in the right spots and we're doing all these things. And it just feels so incredibly real because, yeah, when you see these issues, particularly the climate crisis and how massive they are and the sort of existential doom we're all staring down and it's hard to exist knowing that's happening so I, I think that it sort of alleviates a lot of anxiety surrounding it because suddenly I know that at least I'm doing everything I can to stop that and at least I'm doing everything I can to prevent this becoming even worse than it already is and yeah, so the, the school strike space is so great for that. But on top of it, you know, I love all the kids involved and it it really can be a lot of fun. It can be stressful and awful and I've cried over a lot of it. But the times that are great 
just are so much fun and and so rewarding. And I I think that sort of youth centric young people leading everything and making decisions and figuring out what we feel is the best thing to do makes that space so unique and such a fantastic group to be involved with. And then let's take it to the next step that you've chosen, like not to just be in that space, but to actually play a role in trying to support the learning and thinking about how to be successful in doing activism. Tell tell us, you know, what I loved about the book in particular is it's democratising knowledge, right? Like you've worked for several years as as an organiser with student strikers and instead of just putting that in your backpack and running away, you're trying to share as much as you, as much knowledge as you've gained along the way. Why did you want to write a book like that? So it's interesting actually, because I hadn't ever really thought that writing a book would be something I'd do. I mean, I've always enjoyed writing quite a bit and I've done it at school and whatnot, but yeah, that writing a book, (laughs) even as I say that I've done it, I don't fully believe it. It doesn't feel like something I've really done, but Yeah, I was approached by my publisher, Pantera Press, and they asked me if I'd like to write a book. And it's something I did think about quite a bit because I didn't want to just accept it and make something that I just kind of shit out and I'm not really that happy with and just exists so that I can have a book. Because I wanted, if I were to create something, something that I would find really useful and I would want to exist and something that doesn't exist already and is unique and is useful and furthers the cause and what I'm doing. So what I found that to be was a guide to activism because I remember at the beginning that sort of confusion and difficulty when I first got involved in School Strike because I was just so unsure on what to do. And if it weren't for the fact that I had such great mentors and other experienced people helping me along the way, I really don't think I would have been able to help in the ways that I did. And I don't think as a movement we would have been able to be nearly as successful as we have been. So I wanted to get all this information and and put it down in words and allow other people to have access to that and be able to really practically use that because I find that there's information available about activism and whatnot everywhere but really practical base level stuff even things like organizing a protest and all the steps involved are hard to find but on top of that there are so many other things which go into it and that are more complex that are so far hard to find the information for that I wanted to make accessible. And so let's get into the book because (laughs) I have enjoyed reading it. Thank Um, you. And one of the things that is great about it, and listeners, this is one that I reckon many of you would love too, is that you you bring sort of your glorious fresh eyes to, to a space that's sometimes a little riddled with weary experts. You know, the, the world of social change is sometimes over-experted where people tell everyone the right way rather than necessarily remind ourselves of the energy that comes from participating in movements at the, for the first time. And your book has that energy. And the book is very much a guidebook. The middle half of the book in particular is we run between how do you have a good meeting with a politician to how to organise a, a, a demonstration. And there's heaps and heaps of lessons in it. But as I was reading the book, right, one of the things that I kept thinking was, man, I wonder if any of these lessons 
that you've written down came about through, you know, tripping yourself up, making a, you know, through, through hard lessons, you know, lessons learned through mistakes. And so I'm wondering, you know, you're obviously a good evaluator and a reflector and good <laughs> change makers do good reflection. So I'm wondering in, in thinking about what you wrote about in the book and reflecting on your time in, in Student Strike for Climate, are there any things that come to mind, moments or experiences that make you that laugh or cringe or cry that helped guide some of the lessons you write about? I think the one that I look back on to this day and I always just cringe at thinking on it, which I actually do describe in the book, is the first time I ever met with a politician. And I met with my local member and already I was so ill-prepared for it. I I came racing after school and it was raining and I missed my bus and sort of I, I rocked up all sweaty and gross and it was just terrible from the onset. And The issue was that I just really hadn't prepared for it. I didn't have all of my information sorted out and I felt like the other people there, we hadn't really communicated properly what we were going to say or or what our approach would be. And, yeah, the the biggest thing was not having sourced information there which we could just present and say is fact because suddenly we go into this meeting and we sit down and we say, you know, well... Australia should be converting to full renewable energy by 2030. And they say, well, that's not possible. And we say, there's so much research behind this. This is very much true. And both of our phones were nearly dead and we didn't have the Wi-Fi so we couldn't pull anything up. But it meant that they could just say, well, my scientists disagree (laughs) and just laugh at us. And it was just such a frustrating, condescending experience. And The worst bit is that I know that even though probably they would always try and be condescending and laugh us off, there were so many things we could have done to make that better and go in prepared because I just felt so stupid at the end of it. But yeah, that definitely was a learning experience and yeah, 100% caused all the advice that I have in the book regarding meeting with MPs because I can imagine so many other people must have similar experiences because you're going into this thinking that it's going to be democratic and and a fair conversation and then instantly realise that is not the case whatsoever. How did meeting with politicians change your mind about who politicians are or what politicians should be? Mm. Well, it made me realise instantly how set in their ways they are and how difficult it is to convince them of anything. And I think my number one learning really is that you're not going to convince them just through meeting. They need so much pressure to shift them the tiniest bit in the correct direction. And it's frustrating, but that's something I definitely needed to learn. And yeah, I think a lot of young people involved in School Strike or through other means who meet with politicians, they feel very disenfranchised and disillusioned by the system, knowing that even though they're part of this community and you have this politicians that is, they're a public servant. They're supposed to be representing them. They're not supposed to be an enemy that it's almost like this overlord of sorts that won't listen to anything. It's just doing what they feel like. It's absurd. That's not what their job is. And Yeah, the politicians, the times that I've met with them and it feels better and I enjoy it more is when it feels not only are they supportive because there are some politicians like that, 
but they're not there for a photo op. And they're not there to say that they've been able to speak to a young person. They're there to listen. Because the politicians that listen are so hard to come by. But you can tell when they are, and you can tell when they really want to hear what you have to say, and they want to take that on. And it does really make a difference. And I think there are people out there like that, but they're just so hard to come by. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it makes me think, right, you know, one one way for that to be different would be to have some different politicians, I guess. Has that mm. ever, has, you know, in the student striker space, do people talk about how we need to change those who are making the decisions? Yeah, I, I, we've definitely had conversations around that. And we had a group of strikers, so it wasn't sort of part of school strike, but it was a little separate venture called Climate Leaders, and they had a list of criteria and they'd meet with politicians and they would sort of deem them a climate leader or not. But yeah, I I think that just generally in the space there is conversation about younger people stepping into political positions and I think that there's definitely more that we could be doing with it. It's not something we've really explored in depth yet, but there is always a little bit of conversation or sort of that notion that if we had younger people and if we had those who are representing us better, things really could happen. But I do think that for a lot of people, they just feel that politics and the system that we're existing in, no matter what, it just feels like we're never going to be able to have people that really will consistently listen to us and do their jobs properly. So that's why we do spend our time focusing on this more protest and sort of organising-based activism rather than a top-down approach. Yeah, yeah. So in in a sense, you have schooled yourself, unlike Mm. what Scott Morrison was suggesting. You actually have educated yourself in the realities of politics rather than in the theory of what sometimes people are taught in Mm. a classroom, that there is a separation of powers and every politician represents their members. You've learnt about how it actually works. Totally, yeah. And in learning how it actually works, you're now staging strikes to to change the rules of the game, it sounds like. Completely, yeah. <laughs> so let's, t- let's turn to the extraordinary strike movement. And I love that it's strikes. Strikes never seemed as cool when I were in the union movement, but you guys have managed to make them super cool, so <laughs> appreciate that. So in organising the strikes, I mean, you talk in a, in a lot of detail in the book about how to do it. And for people out there ever wanting to organise a demonstration and feeling like Jean felt when she was nominated herself to organise the Sydney rally, kind of, <laughs> there's a whole bunch of tips in the book about how to do it. I was most impressed by the extensive use of Gantz charts and <laughs> how they worked. I I was much older when I first got involved, but we never did anything so sophisticated or <laughs> powerful. But what, what I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit, I, I know you mentioned already that that the student strikers are enormous and and lead themselves, right? But there are people who have supported the, the strikers. Some of the organisations you've talked about, Tipping Point and Australian Youth Climate Coalition have provided support at times to be able to help make some of these events occur. I wonder if you could talk about how that works, you know, coaching, mentoring, you know, you talk in the book, coaching and mentoring can go really well, especially, but it can also not go well. You know, it's it's a tricky dynamic between adults and students. You know, there's a power dynamic there. I have no doubt. 
I was wondering if you might want to just comment on this question of, of coaching and mentoring and its triumphs and pitfalls. Yeah, I think School Strike have gotten really lucky in that right off the bat, we found a group of adult mentors who understood how important it was for us to be student-led and student-organised and, yeah, wanted to help facilitate that and to the best of their ability and help us out but still recognise their role in not making the decisions and not making any calls, just supporting what we're doing. So, yeah, tipping point in AYCC, they're so amazingly helpful in what they do. Sort of their role, I, I think a great way of defining it is... They've said to us directly, like, you guys make the decisions, call the shots, and we will help you as much as we can. And whether that is figuring out places where we can hire gear for strikes or, you know, helping us write documents or proposals, things like that, it is so, so useful because it also means that when we do need advice and we're finding particular things difficult, we can talk with them and we can ask them what they think and whatnot but still, again, know that we are the ones calling the shots and making the decisions and they will respect that no matter what. Yeah, but I, I do know there have been times where there have been particular adults, not those from Tipping Point and whatnot, but just other organisers that I've talked to and whatnot, and they sort of feel that it's not quite fair <laughs> the way that we're doing it. And I know some people sort of drawing that line between a school student and a university student, when is someone not a young person anymore? All that sort of stuff can get kind of messy. But due to the uniqueness of our position as minors who can't vote, who even though a uni student, they definitely aren't represented as well as they could be, they have that official democratic power and politicians need to represent them more than they do us as children. It it means that we're in a position where us leading this and taking on that role is so, so important. But yeah, I, I think that uh, mentors and that support is incredibly useful and is one of the most helpful tools that young people can access. It's just definitely tricky to get that in the right form and to find those who are genuinely there to support you. Mm. The point you raise about lived experience leading movements, Mm. I mean, that is true historically too, right? Unions have been strongest when they were rank and file and grassroots and forming in the 1890s, you know, like led by the membership, right? They, They didn't start off like that. They, as big institutions, they had to be led by members. You know, even in Right, you know, now today, you know, the movements around autism and no no decisions about us without us. You know, the disability movement, right? Like this idea that you, if if we're being talked about, if our future is on the line for you guys, but for all these other movements too, we need to be in the centre. Like it's quite a profoundly important principle that mm. you're operating and it's just a really good example of that in practice. For me, you know, as, yeah. I look, as I look on it, it's, this has happened before. It, ha- it happens when things are good, you know. It happens mm. when things are strong. So I want to invite you now to, to sort of you just sort of step back. I want to ask you sort of a reflective question before we, before we wrap up. And I want you to have a think about how the process, how this process, this journey that you've gone on, particularly in the last, you know, three or four years, your Empathy, your passion, your, your your interest in debating for justice has been with you a long time. But how has this process 
of becoming a climate activist in particular, how do you think it's changed you, changed who you seek to be in the world? I think that it's interesting seeing that the way it's shaped me has varied a lot since I first became involved. And a very close friend of mine, Danny, and they're involved in the school strike movement and we also go to school together and we were having a conversation about this the other day, how we were such different people and people, both different people and such different activists when we were first involved. And I think that it's really allowed me to, in some ways, gain a trust for other young people because I remember a a memory that sticks out with me a lot and has really guided a lot of what I've done in School Strike is when a representative of the UN for young people came to my school and they, they go to tons of schools and they do all these activities. And one of the questions they ask is, you know, do you think young people should be able to vote? So should the voting age be lower to 16? And you'd say yes or no or in the middle and I would go to yes and a lot of people go to no. And what was, when they asked for the reasoning, it was for a lot of people like, oh, you know, I trust kids from our school because the kids here are awesome. But I just feel like at other schools, kids wouldn't really take it seriously and they wouldn't do all these things. And the guy who was leading it said every single school he's been to, that has been the response. Wow. Where you have young people, they are taught that other young people aren't trustworthy and aren't responsible and don't really care and are ignorant or whatever. But the spaces where they actually are around other young people and they can see what other young people think and feel, that's when they believe that young people are responsible and are politically minded and are educated and informed. And I think that being involved in school strike has shown me that to an even greater degree where I think at first, because even though I could see all these kids were awesome, I, I sort of have this inherent, not distrust per se, but but fear that people won't really know what they're doing or even I don't really know what I'm doing and things are all going to fall apart and we need adults to help us. And then seeing that all these kids can do it and they can do things fantastically and they continuously amaze me every day. And even the things that I've done, I've been shocked at, has really shaped my view of the world and influenced the way that I see sort of power and young people's ability. And I see that particularly in all the kids who come to the strikes and speaking to them just how incredibly informed and yeah, both articulate and forward-thinking and I think global-minded as well that young people are. And, yeah, I, I think also seeing that the change young people can make and the influence we can make and the ways that we can all work together and motivate each other has really had an effect on me because the movement itself hasn't come about from organisers just planning strikes and doing things and saying here's an event and everyone just decides to come along. It's come from us maybe organising a time and a place and doing as much as we can to make it as big as possible, but it's been from young people at schools telling other kids to come along and groups forming and people having conversations with their families and all this sort of stuff. It's, It's really a social movement and the fact that that's been driven by young people is just so amazing to me and I think that that's really 
shaped how I view things and sort of shaped my understanding of how these sorts of movements work and how change happens. Yeah. What you describe is so beautiful because it shows that, you know, winning the change is only the tip of the iceberg of this Mm. enormous thing that's created of relationships and conversations and networks and trust, you know, and sort of friendship and that is we want all that too and mm. we want the, the change at the top, we want to stop climate change, but we want this amazing community of people to make our democracy strong forever Absolutely, as well. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I think at first I didn't really understand that. I, I thought it was just sort of a means to an end and we, we need, you know, to make this action surrounding climate change, but sort of the necessity of everything underneath that and all that needs to happen, I never really understood before and then as it started to happen around me just sort of the beautiful chaotic nature of it was just yeah it's so astounding and I'm so glad that you have captured some of that in in lead the way everyone should go get themselves a copy because that's going to allow this movement to grow and whether it's on the issue of climate change or refugee rights or worker rights or whatever your passion is This book has got some ideas about how we can build that massive community that we need for a vibrant, people-led democracy. So thank you for being in here today, Jane. Jean, my goodness, Jean, it's been spectacular to have this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a really, really interesting conversation, interview type thing. Yeah, I've really enjoyed myself. Great. Changemakers is hosted by me, Amanda Tattersall. Remember to subscribe to the podcast to catch all our episodes. And don't forget the back catalogue filled with stories and chats with wonderful people. Changemakers is produced by Xander Shivani. Our audio producer is Jules Bookera. Our series sponsor is the Sydney Policy Lab at the University of Sydney. They break down barriers between researchers, policymakers and community campaigners so we can build change together. Check them out at sydney.edu.au backslash policy dash lab. Like us on Facebook at Changemakers Podcast and check out changemakerspodcast.org for transcripts and updates on all of our stories. We also run a fabulous Facebook chat group, Changemaker Chats, on Facebook. Search it up, my friends, where you can meet and exchange ideas with other listeners. And don't forget to take a look at our organising school if you want to take a deeper dive into the art of changemaking.